Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. How's everyone today? Are you ready to learn some things? <laughs> No, does anyone have any more announcements they can do? Okay. Okay, I'm kidding. I, I feel the Lord has showed me some things that I think are going to blow your diodes this morning. Um, so there's two different words for myrrh in Hebrew, the word more and the word lot. And I'm going to concentrate on the word lot and as the message unfurls, you're going to see exactly why. And it's, it, it blew me away when I saw this. Okay, so we're going to be going in a diverse and apparent incongruent direction this morning. But I beg you to track with me and focus all your attention this morning on, on what I'm saying. Because some of it is... It's radical, is what what I'm going to bring forth. So I really want you to dial in. And just a shameless plug, in our Bible study, we go deep into these things. So I'm going to be throwing out some things this morning that I can't fully go into just because of time's sake. But we do have a Bible study where we go into those things. Thursday night, 7.30. 7 o'clock, sorry. It's the life group, yes. Okay, so let's just summarize a little bit what myrrh is used for and what the three, not the three, the wise men brought the three gifts. So myrrh was the same as frankincense in the sense of it was a gummy resin and it was used in beauty products and perfumes. Now, interesting, you've probably read this if you've read Esther. She spent six months doing myrrh treatments. Who, who, what woman would not want to do that for six months? I don't know, maybe you wouldn't. But back then, they would not have had any preservatives or anything. It would have been an all natural. You would have been a walking myrrh bomb. That would have been, I think, amazing. I'd try it. So the Song of Solomon mentions quite a few times concerning two lovers and the scent of myrrh in their loving rendezvous. So it definitely has to do with you know, even the bride of Christ and that fragrance of that union together. It's just beautiful. Hippocrates, the physician who lived around 400 BC, he created the Hippocratic Oath. I think we all know what that is. They still actually say it today. It's a bit of a revised version, but they even still say it today before they get their, you know, they have to say it before they get actually, what's the word, their papers. Yeah, their cert- certification. So uh, Hippocrates, he mentions myrrh as a help for ailments and cuts. It was also used as an antiseptic in toothpaste and mouthwash. I can't imagine. Did they have toothpaste back then? It wasn't Colgate. What did they have? Like, I don't know, myrrh in a tube? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, It was also used as an anointing oil for the priesthood, anointing them and the temple. Herodas, which we heard Andreas mention him. 
He was considered the first Greek historian and mentioned that myrrh was used in the burning of incense to Greek gods. Interesting. That we can use myrrh to worship God, and yet the pagans used it to worship their deities or the fallen angels is really is what they were worshiping. And myrrh was used in the embalming of dead bodies to cover this stench of decaying flesh, which we know from the story of Jesus, correct, where they brought in about 100 pounds of myrrh and, and other things to um, put in his body so he wouldn't stink, but he wouldn't have because he wasn't there four days. After four days, you start decaying, and he said, I would not suffer decay. Okay, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> Genesis, oh, so the, okay, so the word lot, which we get myrrh from, I'm going to, uh, Genesis 43.11. So this is, this verse, just a little background quickly, is, um, where am I going? My mind just went. So Joseph was in Egypt, and all of his brothers came there finding, trying to find food. Long story short, they came back to their father, and they said, there's this guy here, you know, he wants your other son, Benjamin, and he got all mad. Why'd you tell him I had another son? And he goes, and this is what he said. He said to them, if it must be so now, do this. Take the best fruits of the land in your vessels, carry down to the manna present, balm honey, spices, and myrrh, lot, nuts and almonds. So they brought the best to Joseph. What did they bring to Jesus? The best. Okay, so we're going to start getting a little deeper here. The root word for lot, for myrrh, is loot. And it means to wrap tightly. Okay, remember that. And that word is used three times in the Old Testament. And I'm going to share these three scriptures. I'm going to give a brief explanation of them and how they correlate to the root word of myrrh, which means to wrap tightly. 1 Samuel 21.9, And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you slew in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped, looped, tightly in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take it, then take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So what is the connection here for the root of myrrh for wrapping, sorry, that was loot, for wrapping the sword of the giant who was slain by David? Why? So I want to explain a little just about the history of giants and where this falls into our narrative. And I'm telling you right now, it falls deeper into the story of redemption than we have been led to believe. So the giants were the offspring, and this is all about Christmas. I'm telling you, I'm going to tie it in. So just hold on with me, okay? So the giants were the offspring of fallen angels and human women procreating on the earth. The purpose of this rebellious incursion was to pollute the DNA of mankind, to wipe them out by producing an unsanctioned hybrid race so that Jesus, the Messiah, could not be born. 
Do, we, do you understand what I'm saying there? That was their purpose to infect the genome of mankind so that the Messiah would have no pure genetic code to come out from. That's why it says in Genesis that Noah was perfect. And that word is the word tamim, and it is always used for a sacrifice that was physically sound and whole. Noah and his family were the only human beings left on the earth that could produce the Messiah. That is why the flood came to wipe out the giants who were a, a hybrid race and were unredeemable. If they were left to do what they were going to do, there would be no human pure DNA left to bring the Messiah. That's why he sent the flood. It wasn't like, oh, humans, you are just whew, so bad. It wasn't that. It was the fallen angels that began to teach them technologies and forbidden knowledge that ex expanded their corruption upon the earth. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and you shall bruise his heel. That's Genesis 3.15. Right at the beginning that prophetic word, this prophecy is the prophecy of all. It's the genesis of all prophecies. Any other prophecy in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation springs from this prophecy. It was a seed war to try to stop the seed of the woman and Christ coming. That's what we're celebrating. Jesus Christ being born. That's why, that's why these second temple Jewish people had such an understanding of how glorious and wonderful it was that the Messiah through the ages, when the fallen angels and Lucifer and Satan is trying to destroy mankind, that God in his providence still created and kept a race and a remnant of people that could produce the Messiah. It's miraculous. It's incredible. So if you were to ask a second temple Jew, what caused the corruption of mankind? So second temple era was about 515 B.C., to 70, 72 AD at the destruction of the temple. Even Jesus prophesied the temple would be destroyed. So that is the second temple area, era. So if you were to ask a second temple Jew, what was the cause of the corruption of mankind? If you were to ask someone today, they'd go, Genesis 3, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be the normal response? I mean, it's, it's true, right? Adam and Eve sand, sinned. Sin came, death came into the world, but a second temple Jew would go, but that's not all. He'd go Genesis 6. Genesis 6 is when the angels came down to the daughters of men, married them, procreated, and then it goes on to say that the, that the fallen angels begin to teach their wives and their offspring secret knowledge on seduction and every perversion out there. Um how to, to make weapons of war. Uh, just whatever was forbidden, incantations, witchcraft, pharmakeia. They begin to teach them these things. And the second temple Jew will go, this is how it proliferated so fast in the earth because of this forbidden knowledge that they began to teach man. And it goes on to say that there wasn't enough food on the earth for the giants to consume so they begin to consume mankind. 
And then when they were scarce, they begin to cannibalize one another. That's where you get this whole thing of cannibalism and sexual perversion and drinking of blood was from them. And they taught it to the children of men because that's how they accessed the dark forces that they were teaching. Then they would go Genesis 11. It's the Tower of Babel and Nimrod. Nimrod was the first antichrist on the earth. And it actually says that Nimrod became a gibberine. The gibberine is the word for giant. He gained the access and the knowledge to alter his own DNA that he became a giant in the earth. And it says that he terrorized the earth. And then he began to build this tower, this ziggurat is what they call it. It's a ziggurat. It's a, a tower to a temple. And that temple was to sacrifice on the top of it to bring down the false gods. And who were the false gods? The fallen ones. The fallen angels. Are we learning something? <laughs> Trust me, we're going to get there. But it's important we give this background. So the second time, loot. The root word for Mars used is 2 Kings 9.13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped loot his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? So what is the connection here? Elijah was hiding from the priests of Baal and thought he was the only one left standing against them. But the Lord said he had seven other people that had not have bowed the knee or kissed the hand of Baal. Who's Baal? Anyone? Satan. Who's Satan? He's a fallen angel. So you see how the connection of loot to myrrh, to the fallen angels, to the seed of the serpent, which is the giants. Isaiah 25, 7. This is the last one where this root word, loot, from myrrh is used. Isaiah 25, 7. Are we getting those over? The oh, Awesome. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering wrapped loot that is wrapping all the people and the veil that is spread over all nations. Now, this word veil is super important. It's used 28 times, but 25 times it's used as a molten image of an idol. So the covering wrapped all the people and the molten image that is spread over all the nations. What is Satan's goal? He wants to spread his image over all the nations. And Jesus said, I will destroy that veil and that molten image. And that molten image, again, is our images of the fallen angels because they wanted the worship. Verse 8, he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away all the tears from all faces. And, rebu and the rebuke of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken it. Well, when did he do that? He did it when he rose from the dead. But he's going to fulfill it fully at the end of the age when he cast the dragon the false prophet, the antichrist, and hell itself into the lake of fire. And it says, death will be no more. Get an amen out there. 
Okay, so the correlation and the connection with this root word, loot, to myrrh, with these verses, is the fallen angels and people worshiping them, and the fallen angels seed the giants to stop Jesus from being born. Okay, this is, honestly, when... (laughs) When I was studying and I saw this, I, I literally, I paused, I sat there, and I think Melissa came out and she goes, are you okay? Because I was just like. I'm serious. I was, I was just, I was stunned on how this correlates. You know what? I heard a, a scholar say, I dare you to make the Bible boring to me. I believe that, man. There's, I, I get so much satisfaction and fire to study the word of God when things like this come out. It's not boring. If it's boring, you're reading or something, the wrong one. Maybe it's not the Bible. I don't know. But it's not boring. It's the most exciting, powerful book I have ever read in my life. And it, it transforms you every time you read it. So the Greek equivalent to this root word to myrrh And it's that Greek word that is the equivalent of the three verses that I just spoke on. It is used one time in the New Testament. Only once. And this is the scripture, Mark 15, 46. And he brought fine linen and took Jesus down and wrapped him, looped in the linen. And laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, and rolled a stone. Oh, Jesus is into rock and roll, man. No wonder I love rock and roll so much, because he does. Hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone onto the door of the sepulcher. His body was loot. It was wrapped tightly. The body of Jesus was the weapon wrap that reversed the fall of Adam. And it reversed the corruption of the fallen angels and destroyed the serpent seed of the giants. So the gift of myrrh, Andreas, (laughs) had a much deeper meaning than Mary probably knew at the time or did she okay we're going just going to keep going so David meets Goliath the giant the seed of the serpent the giants were the seed of the serpent and they met in the valley of Elah which means the valley of the oak So the oak tree has interesting spiritual connections. So without going through all the verses, I'm just going to highlight a few examples so you get the idea of what I'm trying to say. The angel of the Lord sat under an oak to call Gideon to the task he was calling him to. And Gideon made a meal and presented it to the angel of the Lord under the oak. It was like an offering he was presenting to the angel of the Lord under the oak. Joshua set up a large stone under an oak as a witness to God in Israel. King Saul and his sons were buried under an oak. 
And idol worshipers would light incense under oaks to worship these fallen angels. So notice how the oak in itself is not evil, is it? The oak in itself, it's not evil. But its spiritual connection is based on the heart and intent of the person or entity that is engaging with it. That's wordy. Let me say it one more time. The oak in itself is not evil. Its spiritual connection is based on the heart and intent of the person or entity that's engaging in it. Does that make sense? This is just a a plug, just an opinion. So people say the Christmas tree is pagan. My opinion is, is the Christmas tree is no more pagan than an oak tree. Just like myrrh was used in incense to worship idols, it was used in anointing oil for priesthood. 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 The priesthood. So is myrrh in itself evil? It is the spirit and intent that it is used for. I hope that frees some people, you know, like if you're bowing, getting gifts and you have a heart that you're worshiping God, you'd have to have a heart going, I'm bowing down here to worship worship Baal while I'm doing this. That would have to be the intent. It's a tree. It's an oak tree. It's a fir tree. It's the heart and spirit behind what you do that gives it a spiritual significance. Amen. So Amos 2.9, remember the, the valley of the oak. Amos 2.9, yet destroyed I the Amorite. The Amorite were a, uh, they were a clan of giants. So yet I destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of cedars. Cedars good up to 30 feet. Do you know that they have excavated um, what am I looking for? The word skeletons. Where did, why did I forget that? They've excavated skeletons up to 36 feet in length, all the way up from 9 to 36. But that information has been obfuscated because they don't know, want us to know the validity of Scripture and the depth of the power of salvation that Jesus Christ came to provide for us. You do the research yourself. You go and you can look in the 1800s, 1700s, they, all in their newspapers. We found mounds all across the southern United States filled with these giant sarcophaguses. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah, that's plural, right? And they were exhuming these giant bones. But as soon as the Smithsonian Institute found out about it, they came and took it away. So Goliath, the seed of the serpent, standing as an oak in the valley, defying the living God. So I'm going to (laughs) shorten... Wow, it's, it's only 5 to 11, and I'm almost done. And you're going to have to go home and have breakfast, not lunch. <laughs> I have brunch. Okay, we're going to shorten this storyline because 
I wasn't sure how long it was going to go, so we're just going to keep with it. Are, are you learning it something? Really, like, are you learning something that's, you know, deepening your faith? So David runs toward Goliath with five smooth stones. You know, in Sunday school, you were taught, it's like, oh, David, he had those five stones that if he missed that one, oh, he could go back and grab his another little stone and try to hit the big man over there. Oh, and he's got five tries. He grabbed five stones because one was going to get Goliath and the four other were going to get Goliath's brothers. That's how much confidence he had in his God that he was not going to miss. He was going to get Goliath and he was going to get every other giant related to him and take him down because he knew they were part of the proliferation of corruption and evil in the earth. So by the way, when the flood came and destroyed the giants, it says that the disembodied spirits of the giants are the demon spirits that we deal with today. So he knew when he says you uncircumcised Philistine, he knew that entity was unredeemable. He could not be redeemed whatsoever. That's why they were so evil. That's why idol worship was so evil to God. Because when it talks about when they pour out a libation to an idol, it, the word means, it means to fuse two things together to become one. You pour out a libation to an idol, you are fusing with that to become one with that thing. No different than we pour out an offering or libation to the Lord. We are saying, I am joining me and you so that we become one. And that was the goal of the fallen angels to, to corrupt the DNA so they became part of the fallen angel nature and cannot be redeemed. Okay, so David runs towards Goliath, five stones. He hits Goliath right in the head, and it said it. And usually, their, their armor would have a piece come right down here. And it's thick brass. Like, I mean, Goliath, uh, just his, his uh, breastplate was 160 pounds alone. His, his spear was a, a, a weaver's beam with a, a, a point on the end that was almost 20 pounds itself. And he was estimated at anywhere between 9.6 feet, however you, you, you calculate the measurements that were giving, given. He was anywhere between 9.6 feet up to 13 feet tall. So David hurls the stone. We're going to get to the... We're getting there. David hurls the stone and sinks it right into Goliath's head and he falls forward, stunned but yet not dead. Let me ask you, have you hurled a stone at your giant to find that he keeps returning? You hurled the stone of worship and you were relieved of the taunts of the giant, but as soon as you got it, hit the parking lot, the words of that enemy returned. Or you hurled the stone of fellowship with your brothers and sisters. And as soon as you get in the car, his taunts return. And what, what, are, what are his taunts? You'll never be delivered. You'll never be healed. 
You won't even succeed in your life. You're dirty. You'll never be forgiven for what you did. God doesn't care for you. That is the taunts of the enemy. What, would, what was Goliath doing? I defy your God by my gods, by my fallen angel fathers. I defy you is what he was saying. And that's how he defies us, you. Because they can never be healed or redeemed. What do they say to you? You never can be healed. You can never succeed. They can only say who they are. (laughs) So how did David stop the mouth of the giant? He severed his head with the sword of the spirit. If we want complete victory, we can't just hurl a stone. We need to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and speak it until the enemy is slain in that area. So David unsheaths Goliath's sword and severs his head. Now there's three reasons David severed his head. One was to show everyone, enemy and ally alike, that he was dead and it was a trophy of absolute victory. Two, another name for the giants was Rephaim. And the word, the root word is Rafa, which means to heal. Giants had a longer lifespan than humans and had an ability to heal quicker. And the only way to ensure their demise was to sever the head from the body. Hmm. So the third reason I'll get back to in a minute. Adam was the head of the human race, correct? So this next little bit I'm going to read because it's not from me, it's from someone else. An early Christian leader named Origen, one of our early church fathers, who lived from 185 to 253 AD, recorded that Jesus was crucified on the spot where Adam was buried and where his skull had been found. Whether or not this is true, there was an early Christian belief that Jesus had been crucified near Adam's burial place. As this early story goes, when the earthquake occurred as Jesus hung on the cross, Matthew 27, 51, you can look it up yourself. I don't think it's up there. His blood ran down the cross into the crack in the rock below and fell on the skull of Adam. This history is so entrenched in early Christian tradition that Jerome, another church father, referred to it in a letter in 386 AD. I'm going to read a little more, but what what can we say? We too often are looking at scripture with a Western mindset. It is impossible to understand scripture with a Western mindset. Impossible. To get an accurate interpretation and view. So interestingly, Jewish tradition states that Adam's skull was buried near the city of Jerusalem by Noah's son, Shem. Tradition says this burial place was guarded by Melchizedek, who was the priest king of Salem, eventually Jerusalem, during the time of Abraham. Unknown to most Western believers, this history is so accepted 
that it is considered a major theme of orthodox doctrine. And the skull of Adam appears consistently at the base of the cross, cross in both paintings and icons. If you ever see a skull at the base of a crucifix, you can know that it symbolizes Adam's skull that was allegedly found buried at the site of Jesus' crucifixion. I had a bunch of pictures of, you know, way back then where they were actually painting the skull. Um, so it, it was part of their understanding. Okay, so the third reason why he severed his head. So after David severed Goliath's head, Scripture says he took the head to Jerusalem. Why? His home base was Hebron. All of the patriarchs were buried there. That's where he was based at. And Jerusalem was about 16 miles away from there. And Jerusalem was occupied by the Jebusites who were the enemy of Israel. So why did he go there? And Jerusalem wasn't even the capital yet. So even if David could enter Jerusalem, he wouldn't have been able to with the head of Goliath. Because no unclean thing could enter the city gates. So he would have had to have buried the head of Goliath outside Jerusalem. I believe by inspiration and revelation, David buried it in the same place Adam's skull was buried, which was Golgotha. Goliath of Gath. Golgotha. When Jesus was crucified, remember, this is, he was born to die. When Jesus was crucified, his blood ran down on Adam's skull and the skull of the seed of the serpent. Fulfilling the first prophecy ever spoken by God that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and you will bruise his heel. Jesus redeemed mankind from Adam's fall, but also reversed what the serpent seed tried to do. That's it. That's a shorty, but that's a goodie. I hope you gain something from that. And if you want to learn more in-depth stuff, where our Bible study is open for registration. So I'm just going to just pray for everyone. Father, we just thank you that <laughs> your word is incredibly powerful. And it says signs and wonders will follow your word. So Lord, we thank you right now that any working of these spirits. Your word says you've given us power over all demons, over all unclean spirits, all, not some, all, because they are the disembodied ones of those that are eternally damned for the lake of fire. That's why you hate them and you hate what they do. Sickness, disease, deception, bringing marriages apart, 
families apart. This is not your will. It has never been your will. And it actually, you, we just command the blood of Jesus Christ that removed our sin and destroyed the plan of the Nephilim and the fallen angels. Those plans and those, I command them to be null and void in the name of Jesus. And we command the blessing of the Father to overtake every area where these things may have uh, entered and may have been dwelling. That you be filled with the Father's blessing in those areas so that if he tries to come back, he cannot enter. And we praise you. We just speak blessing upon your people and blessing upon Pastor Andreas and Ermory and their family. We command protection, preservation, that wisdom and knowledge and revelation would be birthed in such a greater level that it will overtake them. And that they'll come back refreshed, rejuvenated, and increased in anointing and in the power of the Holy Spirit. To lead and to guide this church into the plans, the will, and desire that you have for this body and every person involved. We command success and blessing. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church Audio Podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.